move from one country to the next every 18 months. And we lived in some amazing, I mean, I think the earliest memories were when we were living in um, Oman um, and in, a, in the city of Muscat. And the garden there was full of the most amazing succulents and um, fearsome, spiky, uh, spiky succulent plants. And, and it was just like, it was almost, for me, it was amazing because it, it was like the norm. That was Tom from Abby and Tom's Garden Plants, and he joins us on the podcast today. Uh, really good interview, well worth listening to. Now, it's been a really, really busy week as we get ready for Cardiff Flower Show. Um, it's always a lovely show to do. I'm not personally going up there. My dad's up there as we speak, sending WhatsApp messages and pictures of how the stand's getting on and it's looking really really good and it looks like the weather's in Cardiff is quite nice as well by the time this podcast goes out it, we would have hopefully had a medal or obviously let you know what that was now we've been busy for the last two three weeks lifting plants into a mock-up display lifting them back out again then putting them back in and out again um, time and time again which is basically how I tend to design uh, displays for for these shows uh, probably not the most efficient uh, way of doing it but well it's the only way I know how so that's how it goes at the moment maybe I'll find a better way soon um, but in doing the podcast we've been interviewing lots of people uh, and one thing that comes out whether it's before we hit record or after we hit record or or in fact during the interviews is patience something that a lot of gardeners especially professional gardeners seem to have uh, and it's something that is completely overlooked when you're growing plants and never ever mentioned that I've noticed in books or anything like that. Um, we're so determined um, to get the plants right and so much of a plant working especially if you're trying to get it ready for a certain time like we do for flower shows or maybe a contract grown thing that we're doing for a particular garden or something like that is, is down to the weather. Now we've got lights, we've got heating, we've got all sorts of stuff that can help the plants along the way. And obviously we've got the experience of doing it now for as a business for nearly 70 years. But plants will still always do what they want to do. Um, and I think that's where gardeners learn to be patient because it doesn't matter what you do. Um, sometimes you just have to sit back and wait. Um, sometimes you're late doing things sometimes that's because of weather sometimes it's just because you're busy um, and the plant will still do what you want it to do um, and it's been really nice speaking to all these gardeners they've been giving tips um, and things that they they did that work things that failed as well people have been really really open about what's failed which is quite nice and and it does teach you patience. So maybe when you're out in your garden uh, and you're, you're willing something to grow, especially when it comes to seeds, you want it to grow, you want to plant it out. Um, maybe just waiting uh, and sitting back and enjoying it is is the best way to do it. Um, but uh, we're, I'll get off the interview, uh, interview, I'll get off the intro um, and let you listen to the um, listen to the interview with Tom because uh, it, it was a really, really enjoyable one. Um, well worth listening to. You're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them, with your host, Alan Lodge. 
Today on the podcast, we're joined by Tom from Abby and Tom Garden Plants. His nursery is in Cumbria, where they grow now over a thousand different plants. Tom was also a lecturer and writer for many garden magazines that you would have heard of, including The Garden, The RHS Garden and Garden Design Journal, as well as running the nursery with Abby. He also does a bit of design work as well. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So uh, let's jump straight into it. Tell us a little about you and the nursery. Well, um, my wife, Abby, and I, we, we've been here for um, about nine years, and we were based in the South Lake District, so sort of south of South Cumbria. Mm-hmm. And we, we took on the site um, that had, had fallen into disrepair. And historically, there's been a nursery here for getting on for 40 years um, but it was in a very very sorry state when we came along and we had to be pretty brutal with it and 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 essentially in every respect take it back to the bones and start again and that was just that wasn't just the infrastructure that you know the plant the plant collection was long since gone so um we we the main thing that we wanted to do was to resurrect the nursery as a nursery because mm. traditionally it always, had always grown its own plants and that's something that's we feel very very strongly about that if you're going to do what you do in this business ideally you want to be growing it yourself and uh, particularly uh, you know the sort of setup we are because we are entirely plants um, unlike a lot of other you know other businesses that, that grow plants that have to perhaps all choose to diversify into, into various different things we we chose the, you know, some some might say slightly foolhardy, <laughs> foolhardy decision to just stick to the plants, um, but yeah, so so we 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 grow herbaceous perennials, so cottage garden plants, and do a range now of about a thousand different things. Oh so, wow, that that must take a lot of uh, organising. It does, and thankfully, um, Abby is extraordinarily organised. I'm I'm reasonably, but. <laughs> <laughs> the brains as long as one of you are it's good so what made you jump into what sounds like quite a daunting project well i mean we basically we i mean independently before we even met we both had this sort of desire to run a nursery in some capacity have our own business growing plants and when we did meet and we found out that you know bizarrely we had this same sort of you know, desire to do to do this we had our sort of hearts set on living in the, the north of the UK. We have connections with Cumbria. Uh, but the idea of actually running a nursery in the Lake District is is okay to say that, but you've got to be able to do it somewhere. And you've either you've got two options. You've either got to have an awful lot of capital behind you to start something from scratch, which we didn't have, or you have the opportunity to buy somewhere or rent somewhere. And we were very lucky that we were just in the right place at the right time to be able to rent rent the premises here. Um, because frankly, there's so few opportunities in our neck of the woods. A lot of nurseries that close turn into housing estates or or get sold on as something else. And Yeah, I think it's becoming rarer and rarer, actually. Sadly, sadly. I mean, even the short time we've been here, there has been, uh, well, certainly two nurseries locally. Traditionally, you know, nurseries in the re- reasonably traditional sense of growing their own stuff have gone, and they've and both of those have got houses on them now, um, right. which which is 
I don't think it's uncommon. I mean, I don't get out that much you know, traveling the country, but I get the feeling that, that I suspect that's not a, a, an unknown scenario. Uh, so. Definitely not. And um, we've, uh, we've been in, in horticulture for a very long time now, and we've seen people come and go, and a large percentage have turned into houses. You're right. Mm-hmm. So your background, uh, you, I'm assuming you didn't just jump straight into plants and think that's what we want to do. Did you have training? <laughs> Well, I, 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 I studied at um, Edinburgh Botanics um, for a couple of years and then down at, uh, I did this Q Diploma um, and I did that. So the, my, like the formal training was the sort of like five years from on my side. But well before that, I, I'd started, I, I had a holiday job in a, in a very traditional plant nursery up near Carlisle. Um, my parents were king gardeners, well, my mum was a, it's a king gardener. It was a kind of combination of that that sort of made me want to work with plants. I didn't know at that stage when I was in my early teens quite which area. Um, so from college to actually getting the keys to, to the site here, there, were, there was the best part of seven or eight years where I was working in big gardens and in various capacities. But I think deep down, we just knew, you know, I certainly was hoping that we could end up doing what we're doing now. And Abby is self-taught essentially um she her parents have an amazing garden um, which is only a few miles away from here and at a very young age she was growing plants with them and got the bug she met various people along the way a big influence on on abby was um rob and rosie hardy in in Mm -hmm. hampshire with hardy's cottage garden plants because abby met rob when she was in her early teens and they met at the tatton flower show and they got on really well and, and Abby went down and spent time with Rosie and on the nursery there propagating plants. So she knew that kind of ultimately that's what she wanted to do. And But whilst I went to do the formal horticultural training, Abby went to university. Um, but I have to say, I've not, I've, I've not really met that. I've not met anyone who has quite the, the, the same kind of affinity that plant Abby has with plants. Mm. And, and it's the sort of thing that, I'm sure you know yourself, you know, you, you, people, people who get it and know how really to work well with plants, you can't teach that in a sense, in a way, within the framework of a, of a course. Hmm. You, just, you just know what you're doing. And, it's um, quite an interesting thing, actually, because um, I'm one of four. I'm the eldest of four children and mm. um, I'm fourth generation uh, mm. in horticulture. But my brothers and sisters aren't in the nursery. Uh, but if we have a period of time where we need some help, it's amazing how we can have members of staff who have done it for years and years. But yeah. when they come along, they just get it because they grew up doing it. They click into it. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. quite interesting, really. So you mentioned your, your mum there. What's your, have you got an earliest memory of gardening? Oh, um, I think I can remember being just spending time, you know, lots of time outdoors in the garden I mean, that my parents we used to live abroad quite a lot in uh, my dad used to be in the foreign office so we, we we it was a bit like being in the military you'd move from one country to the next every 18 months and mm. we lived in some amazing i mean i think the earliest memories were when we were living in um oman um and in a in the city in muscat and the garden there was full of the most amazing succulents and um fearsome spiky <laughs> uh, spiky succulent plants and and it was just like it was almost for me it was amazing because it, it was like the norm in a sense because that was my first sort of interaction with plants and you know and then we would come back to 
Kent, and then you'd kind of <laughs> leapfrog from one extreme to the other. But I just, I mean, to be honest, the, 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 one, the one thing that really, that really got me hooked was, I think it was just being outdoors. It, it almost didn't matter what, what I would be doing, um, but I just love being in the open. Um, and that, and that's still the that's the case today. You know, as much as possible. Uh, inevitably, I find myself. You have to do a certain amount of indoor work. It's just the mm. way it goes. Um, but I think, I mean, uh, as actually practically working the garden, it was probably when I was about eleven or twelve. Where I, you know, I sort of, I was starting to really get into it, and that coincided with when I got this holiday job at this nursery I was talking about before. Yeah. And I would, you know, I, the first thing I sort of saved up with my first kind of um, bit of money that I'd saved from from the job was to buy a greenhouse, and that's when <laughs> that's when things really, you know, you sort of get really excited, and um, but even before that, trying to make weird constructions from uh, hi-fi cabinets to create cold frames, that kind of, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff you do when you basically don't really have money, but you just got, you know, you just got time on your hands in the holidays. And, yes, uh, quite. And when you got the greenhouse, what was one of the first things you grew in it? I grew a, it was a passion flower, mm. um, just because, you know, I'd seen these climbers on the nursery and just completely mesmerised by the, by the flowers. But, um, my first batch of cuttings was, which is a good one to start with, was just doing some rosemary because it's mm. it's forgivingly easy <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. to propagate. Um, but, to, uh, but also things like tomatoes and um, uh, yeah, just I mean, just seeing things germinate. I still get that same buzz of just seeing you know seed that you sow, sow mm. that you sown a few weeks ago starting to come up. It's it's, it's very very it's, it's almost hard to describe. It's, it's a very basic simple thing. But when it does work, it is really. Um... I know exactly what you mean, and you can know. Well, you maybe know. Ev- you can know everything behind how it works, but still, something so small, yeah, um, yeah. to turn into what can be enormous is still quite, quite it's mesmerizing. Like a, it's like really. a mini miracle every time. <laughs> it is, uh... yeah, without a doubt. Um, and I think you're right. It's very hard to describe. Maybe someone uh, slightly. With slightly better vocabulary could describe it better than me, but it, mm. it is one of those things, um, mm. definitely. Um, and I was reading you did a bit of lecturing. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I was up at Newton Rigg um, College, which is up near Penrith, and they are uh, sort of an agricultural, horticultural college. It's predominantly agriculture, but they've had a base there for horticulture for many years. And I was lecturing there to the, the horticultural students at a time actually when we were working on the, the site here on the nursery because for two years we were closed working on it um, and I, I had to work off site doing various jobs to, to actually to fund what we were doing and it was, it was great, it was, it was a mixture actually, it was probably a 50-50 mix between mature students and school leavers. Right. And people on sort of day release from local authority, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole spectrum from, you know, te- you know, from taking cuttings through to the soil science, which is always a toughie. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> a tough one to get people excited about. But, um, <laughs> but it was it was great. And the, I mean, my only frustration with it was, as a course is that this is true of most horticultural courses that. that it's like the major flaw in the system is that they stop in June. Most courses stop in June, and in fact, it's you know it's from June onwards when a lot of the, the exciting things happen. Of course, and, yeah, that's you know. never crossed my mind. I uh, I was uh, 
uh, born on the nursery, uh, but never took any formal training. Um, mm. So, yeah, that had never crossed my mind before. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the site you've moved on to, you've been there for uh, for nine years now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned it was a nursery before. Did that also grow herbaceous perennials? Yeah, yeah. They were, they were known for... Well, they were known for geraniums, uh, ferns, and hostas. That were the kind of the, their big things. But the other, the other significant thing they grew were hydrangeas. Then they had a really amazing collection, and that's one of the frustrations of taking a site on when it's sort of fallen into serious decline. Is that you know you you obviously lose a lot of the physical structure of the place, but it was all that plant material which had essentially been lost because the stock beds <clears throat> that had once been amazing. Hmm included a lot of these these shrubs from which they would take all the cutting material from and a lot of those shrubs in its kind of last dying days of being a nursery those big shrubs were just dug up and sold as specimen plants right and so out the door walks all that sort of you know that 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 uh, time and effort developing that what was a, an incredible collection because you know that from the the sort of like musty old cardboard boxes where we found some of the old catalogues and mm. incredible lists and even correspondence with people in japan where a lot of the you know the the serata hydrangeas are sort of bred and developed it's incredible but hugely you know in a sense hugely frustrating that it all gone and that applied to everything else but but fundamentally though it had been it had been known as somewhere which really grew its plants yes it was slightly chaotic but mm. still fundamentally people liked it for that for that very reason yeah. And um, the nursery now, um, I notice you do uh, garden design consultancy as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's that. That's something that's it actually sort of evolved under its own steam almost because when we first opened, for the first two years, quite often we get people who would ask us, uh, do you do garden design? And I would always sort of shy away from it and say, no, I'm sorry, it's not something we do. But then, if you get enough people asking you, and you you know you start pondering, pondering in your own head, why am I yeah. saying no to this? Um, and largely, it was a actually it was fun fundamentally so it's a, it was a confidence thing. I just didn't feel quite that I perhaps had all the skills. And we're talking about just you know how how you put that down on a piece of paper. You know how mm. how do you survey a garden? I'd done it at college, but it was some time ago. Um, but then I just sort of started to realise that. And actually, it has to be said, this was having worked with some, um, lo well, not even local, but other professional garden designers who would come to the nursery or clients would come to the nursery with plans, presents you with this amazing looking drawing. But then when you get down to get down to the detail of it, incredibly inappropriate plant choices. And you look <laughs> at it and think, well, you know, are we talking about a garden in Sussex here or something in, in, in Cumbria? It was it was it was a real eye, eye opener and it was from that point, I, I kind of started thinking, well, we know the plants inside out. We know what grows well here. And we, we, we're, we're kind of showing that in the, in the nursery itself because a third of it is made up of garden. And you, start, you, know, you just start, I started saying yes. <laughs> and, and, and from that point, you know, it's, it's fine. You, many occasions, and st I still am, you're pushed out of your comfort zone, but that, no, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, not at all. Um, and it's it really is amazing how I'm never, everyone rightly says, and they said from the start that if you get it right, word of mouth is such a powerful thing, and and it's proved to be the case because we don't really have to sort of advertise. 
the fact that we do it. Um, mm. It's it's almost a self-generating thing, but but that has that that completely ties in with the garden, which is now it's, it's nine years old. So it's got that sort of it looks like a serious piece yes. of work almost, and hopefully hugely beautiful and I hope inspiring for people. Um, but it's taken time for that to happen, and but I'm sure you can appreciate. I mean, we we are we are physically a mile from the main road which connects sort of Kendall with Grange over Sands across to Olverston. Um, mm. But to physically get to us, you need to want to come to us because you don't drive past us essentially. Um, and there's a, there's a, the, the power and the significance for us of the, 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 the sort of like the design work is that a really, not even a, a huge sizable project, but potentially it will consume quite a lot of the plant material you grow compared to and, and to sort of to, to offset that offset that against Mrs. Smith who who comes to us and buys a single plant. You need a lot of Mrs. Smiths to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of the, the design work which now accounts for about a third of our sort of total total plant sales wow. comes through the design side. So it's good and bad because it <laughs> I was saying before about you know, I, I love being outdoors, but I suddenly had a realization the other day that one of the for years I've said to people, the one reason I do this job is because I don't want to be sat behind the desk, <laughs> you know, staring at a wall as all my sort of my parents and my uncles and brothers do as jobs. And then I it's just suddenly dawned on me I spend about three days of my my week now sat behind the desk, staring at a wall, working on the designs. But um, so I've sort of self I've generated my own. Thing I was trying to keep away from anyway. as often happens <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned um, about maybe the more inappropriate uh, designs that you had coming with regards to location and things like that mm. um, I don't know Cumbria all that well but what are the challenges in your area well certainly where we are uh, one of the greatest things is the, the is the it's a very sort of fluctuating depth of topsoil natural depths of topsoil so it's not too bad if you're um, if you're in an area which is quite residential, and obviously there's a bit of work over time to to build the soil, etc. It's not too bad in those sort of edges of towns in Kendal, which is our sort of biggest local town. Mm-hmm. But once you start straying away from that, certainly where we are, I mean, um, the, the the actual sort of edge of the valley where we are here, there's about four inches of natural topsoil before you then hit limestone which makes it extremely challenging in some situations where you basically you have to play, really play around with the depths of soil and increase that if necessary. Um, mm. So that's one thing. The, I think the other main thing though is that it's not the cold of winter which actually is a challenge, it's the wet because we are pretty wet. And we found certainly if there's one thing that tends to kill plants off, it's just they, they physically rot off in the ground just because they, you know, if it's in soil that doesn't drain all that well they'll sit around and, and sort of just peter out. Um, yes, it does get cold here, but I think particularly where we are on the sort of more, you know, we're, we're reasonably close to the coast here. Mm. Um, we have the bonus of that, but it's it's kind of, yeah, that that those are the two, probably two main challenges. Um, right. And do you, because of those challenges, do you have uh, a few go-to plants? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we... I mean, I'm a big fan of, of trying to work with plants which are sort of quite close, close cousins to what you know what, what's are growing locally, almost um, in the wider sort of na- you know sort of natural areas, if you like. So, for example, a plant that's 
I, I use endlessly is uh, Loose Strife, um, Lithrum. Right. Um, absolutely superb plant. It's partly because it will grow in, you know, your sort of your classic normal garden soil that, you know, you see Monty Don digging through on a Friday evening on Gardener's World, <laughs> through to actually something quite squelchy, almost boggy, and it will take everything in between. The beauty of it, though, is that for me is the fact that it flowers its absolute socks off from sort of late June through to quite often the first frost. Oh, wow, long time. It really is long, and I keep I keep honeybees on the garden as well, uh, on, on the nursery, and they're a superb plant for, for, for bees, not just honeybees, but, you know, other insects, bumblebees, solitary bees, and um, as one flower spike goes over, it just throws up yet more. Now, the... They're not the, they're not the sort of plant you dig up and split and divide, unfortunately. But they are really easy to do from cuttings, and it's actually quite a good one to start people off if they're sort of you know wanting to try out a few sort of good good simple ones. But yeah, mm. that would be a really good one to you know to, uh, to 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 suggest for sunny area. It will take kind of light shade, but ideally it wants to be in sun. Right. Okay. And out of your thousand plants, um, have you got, I mean, it's probably hard to say, but have you got a favourite? <laughs> that's really hard. <laughs> that's that's a quite a mean question. It's a really, really. It's really toughie. Yeah. Um, I have, well, my favourite plant right now um, is uh, is a pea. It's a perennial pea, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's a, it's a native, actually. It's a native plant, but it's um, uh, Lathrus vernus. Right. And it's a very long-lasting perennial, and it's it's not big at all. It's not like your classic sweet pea, which will scramble up a frame. But Lathrus vernus gets to off the ground. It's but you know thirty forty centimeters, similarish spread. Um, but they're only just starting flowering now, and they they produce almost like very small sweet pea flowers, and but just masses and masses of them. But they're on these very sort of like delicate almost glossy green stems and they look absolutely beautiful because once the flowers are in full swing you see you, you almost see as much flower as leaf hmm. and again insects absolutely love them with them being in the pea family but i've yeah. been so impressed with you know clumps that we planted nine years ago look as good as they did then and there's no sign of them sort of petering out so yeah last burners yeah yeah. Very good. Um, and something we always ask people, uh, in fact, a few questions we always ask people, some regular questions. Yeah. Um, you've obviously had loads of successes. Uh, the garden sounds like it's looking lovely. Mm. Um, definitely one for people to visit. Uh, along your way, uh, knowing horticulture as I do, mm-hmm. yeah, have you had yeah. many failures? Oh, met plenty. plenty. <laughs> Is the one that sticks in your mind? <clears throat> um. I'd say the most sort of dramatic mistake we made early on was uh, we've got, you know, from a sort of like a structural point of view, is we've got we we we're not a huge site. We're barely two acres. Half of it is made up of the growing area, and on it we've got a large polytunnel. It is it's the biggest tunnel we have. And when we first put it up in two thousand and ten, we um, got the thing covered, and then we had some gales in in November. And we did it. We didn't leave the doors open. Right. We left them shut. And what happened is one end blew in, and the other end, the door stayed shut, and it caused the thing just to pop. I mean, it must have looked absolutely amazing when it happened. But <laughs> um, and it completely, des- you know, the, all the, the plastic was gone. The framework was all right, but we had to replace a lot of the timbers, and it was a very costly, tedious exercise in a way. And, and it was a time when we were absolutely, basically, 
broke because we we've been piling so much money into the site. So that was really tricky. Um, but but I, I would say actually that on, on reflection that the second biggest mistake we made with the plants was we hadn't appreciated quite how susceptible a lot of plants are to rotting off in the winter if they're left outside uncovered it, you know when they're in a dormant state and we're talking mm. about perennials here like sort of cottage garden plants that die back yeah um we left masses out i mean to be fair on us we didn't have a lot of covered space but that winter of 2010 which was our first kind of winter of having plants to to, to look after we lost um, hundreds and hundreds of plants because they just simply rotted off because they they get really wet and soggy they freeze and they thaw and they freeze and they thaw and we lost hundreds and hundreds of different primulas and um and so from that we we decided right you know the, the last thing we need is to let these get excessively wet because again it's not the cold that kills them it's that sort of excessive wet hmm. so now we get everything under cover and even if it gets to the extent where we run out of space which we often do we might crudely just get um sheets of clear polytunnel uh, plastic sheets and just put it over the top of the pots just to keep the rain off um, because in that way it keeps the, the you know the, the actual plants dry so yeah okay um, interesting yeah. Um, and as you're walking around the nursery uh, on one of the free days you're not in the office <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a particular tool or a bit of equipment you've always got with you well definitely secretaries they should always yeah. someone once said to me you should never take a nursery nurseryman seriously unless they have a pair of secretaries in their pocket, so I always make a point to <laughs> walk in whether I need them or not. Um, but no, definitely, I think I think yeah, secretaries that you just you, you always you always need those, and they go everywhere, which is why I have endless you know jeans with holes in the back, yes, um, where they sort of work their way down. But um, to be honest, I, I think the, the you know the only other thing is a hoe um, at this time of year, absolutely crucial for just keeping on top of the weeds. Um, it's also something uh, that I think is a little bit out of fashion. You you don't hear people using it quite as much, but it's so useful. Mm, definitely, I, I just I don't know. How, I mean, we couldn't, we really couldn't manage without them because we don't because we are a very tiny. You know, we're a tiny setup here in terms of workforce. And when you've got even you know as we have, it's not a, as I say, it's not a huge site, but the, some of these these borders and beds are quite big. And one of the things we do here is we make our own compost to put on the beds as a mulch, which is fine. But inevitably, when you do that, you get a lot of weed seeds coming through, especially like the sort of like the annual weeds. Um, and to not have the hoe there to, to, to sort of knock them on the head would mean it otherwise means you're on your hands and your knees for hours and hours, which frankly, we just don't, we can't afford time wise. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, we actually we inherit, I inherited an amazing one here, which is an ancient, ancient thing. You just can't get them. I've never seen them anywhere else, and it's it's so worn that it's lovely and sharp, and hmm. um, and it's very lightweight as well. So it's really it's very little effort. What you've just got to be careful is you don't you know chop through anything else. You're not meant to be chopping through. But. Yeah, I think we've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> tulip, tulip carnage everywhere. But yeah, well, I'm lucky enough to have my my granddad's hoe actually. Um, oh, fantastic. 
which I have to be honest, as it gets a bit older, I'm starting to worry that I shouldn't <laughs> use it, <laughs> which she wouldn't approve of. To me. No, no, no. Um, but yeah. And when you first got into gardening, you mentioned that you were you're at quite a young age or yeah. maybe a bit later. Was there a particular book or person that you mentioned your mum that really got you inspired? I used to, at the time, I mean, this was kind of later 80s, early 90s, I was watching Gardener's World and it was Jeff, probably Jeff, Jeff Hamilton. Hmm. On TV, I really, I, I don't know, I was really drawn to him, and um, I used to just love watching him. And uh, I think it, I, I always got the sense when you're watching on him demonstrating whatever he was doing on telly that he was actually doing it. It was not like they would say cut and he'd walk away from the thing. Yeah. You really got the sense that he 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 was doing it for real. Um, so that he was a big influence and. Um, the only other person, actually, again, who like, had a similar impact, but in a different way, was the Lost Gardens of Heligan were were, were in full swing. They just sort of mm. started, and Tim Smith was, again, he was on telly, but also I just read the book uh, that they published, The Lost Gardens of Heligan, and completely inspired me um, because it had that sort of romance and, you know, uh, attached to what they were doing, which was... Um, I, I love garden restoration ideas anyway and projects and that, that really sort of tuned into to me as a person. So and maybe say, not on the same scale, but no, no, kind no, of done, no. your, done your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much, much easier, I'd say. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, and if people want to contact you, uh, want to get in touch, uh, what's the best way they can do that? Well, the simplest way is probably just to go to our website, um, which is abbyandtom.co.uk. Um, and uh, all the details are on there, um, mm-hmm. but we're also on on Twitter as well, and that's at Abby and Tom. Uh, Excellent. Uh, well, brilliant. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us, Tom. It's been it's really fascinating, and it's it's great to chat with you. Yeah, you too, Alan. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. Okay, Bye. cheers. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. 